All right, we're down to the last chapter in the book of James. I feel like the time has flown by. Uh, we have this Sunday and next Sunday left here in this book, and every single week we're asking for you to actually read ahead of time, right? Do the reading plan that we have so that you can read the scriptures before we get to the message uh, on Sundays. Thank you so much, Alan. Appreciate it, buddy. Um, and, uh, and today I'm going to sit and teach. Is that okay? We're good. I'm doing it anyway. So, um, all right. You can probably adjust the camera too. Sorry that I'm sitting. My legs are shaky, so I prefer to teach. Um, so, uh, so we're in this series, right? We're, we're finishing things up. We want you to hide God's word in your heart, right? We want you to memorize scriptures because when life goes sideways, you need a good someone and you need some good scriptures, right? You need, you need to know God's word and have it in your heart. And so we've been talking a lot through the book of James about wisdom, right? He's, that's, there's so much wisdom. And he's, the, the first verse we did was asking God for wisdom who's faithful to give it. Like he wants to give us wisdom when we ask for it. That's a promise. And then what that wisdom produces in us is, is this second memory verse that we um, have for the series. So let's read this out loud together, church, and uh, let's proclaim this in our own lives as we read it together. All right, is everybody ready? See ya. Yeah. All right. So this is what it says. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. These are all good traits, aren't they? I mean, these are things I don't, you know, if you know God or not, like you want these things in your life, don't you? And, uh, and the good thing is that God's character, this is God's character. And so when you think about who God is, this is, this is God and this is his wisdom. And so when we ask for it, that's what we're asking, God. Would you fill us with these things? To be pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Let's all learn from that kind of wisdom and grow in that kind of wisdom. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so we are going through the first 12 verses in chapter 5 together, and we're going to read it together. I'm going to read it, and and, um, like we've been doing through this series, I'm going to ask if you're able to stand, stand with me. And we're starting as as a church. We've started a new tradition. We're not a traditional church, but we can have some traditions, all right? And, uh, and when we stand, it is, an, it is a sense of honoring, right? When, when we stand, if somebody comes in a room who is like super important and you stand, it's showing honor that person. Um, and when we're doing this and we stand for God's word, we're honoring God's word. We're saying, God, your word is lifted up in our church and in our hearts and our lives. And so as we read this, you can read along in your own scriptures. Um, I would encourage you to do that each week. Um, because we don't put this up on the screen because we want you to be in your own Bible. So James chapter 5, we are reading verses 1 through 12 today, and I'm reading from the NIV. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the worker who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, you too be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, do not, uh, or not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All of you need to say a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. God, we thank you for your word. It's true. It's alive. It is active. And it wants to change our hearts today. And each of us, God, have something different we're coming today with that we need to hear from you. So we can only ask, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the word to us? We thank you for it, that you've revealed yourself through your word, God. So use it for your purposes today. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Awesome. You guys can have a seat, and I will have a seat as well. So you get to the end of the book of James, and it's kind of like the last chapter is a, oh, and here's a whole bunch more, right? Like the last chapter, like cha-cha-cha-cha, you know, here's a whole bunch of stuff that he's just like going to throw out there at the last. So like each one of these sections today could be its own little sermon. And so I've got four main sections that I'm going to be teaching on. And you have some fill-in-the-blanks in your worship programs. And if you're following along online or in the stream, you guys can take your own notes and your own journals. And, and I always encourage you to write these things down and go back to them later because so often we forget on Monday what we heard on Sunday. Um, and that's just that's just how our brains work, right? <laughs> like we can only comprehend so much. And so my prayer is always that just one thing. Is there one thing that God would say to you today? And that one thing would be that thing that you grip onto and you take the rest of your week. Uh, but I would encourage you to write things down because when you write it, it gets it out and then back into your own heart and life. So, uh, so this uh, last summer, you know, our family, we were grateful to be able to take a sabbatical and travel to some places that were bucket list places for a lot of people. Um, and one of those places was Paris. Now, I'll, I'll let you know right up front, I'm never going back to Paris, okay? It's like New York City, but in Europe. That's what it is. And so it's just busy and all that kind of stuff. But we got to see some beautiful things while we were there, some bucket list type things. We got to see the Eiffel Tower. And then we also got to go to the world's largest museum called the Louvre. We probably saw 6% of the Louvre, right? Like, and we like, were there for a long time. Just a massive place that has tons of artifacts, tons of paintings and artwork. I mean, it's just a, an amazing place um, that is just ginormous. And we went to one section, and, um, and this whole section on Egypt. I don't know if you've ever been to museums where they have like this whole section on like Egypt, and there's always these trinkets and this jewelry and all this kind of stuff. And they usually have gotten all this stuff from tombs, right? They've gotten them from... Um, like the mummies that were supposed to take it with them, you know, because that's what the Egyptians believed. They, when, they, when people died, especially those in royalty, you know, those that were the pharaohs and leaders, they believed that they wanted to give them everything they needed of what they might need for the afterlife. And so they had these extravagant tombs that they put them in. They would mummify them in very specific ways, and, and they would put all these, these items and jewelry and gold and treasure and all this kind of stuff in those tombs. And uh, do you know what I've learned? They didn't take any of it with them because now grave robbers found them, took them, sold them, made money off of them. Archaeologists have come and found it and put it in museums, and we can still see those things today. And many of them have rotted away, have decomposed, and are no longer like useful or even beautiful as they were in the day when they were thrown into that tomb. The thing that's interesting is that this whole idea of treasure still hasn't changed because still so many of us live for the same thing today. We, we think we can take some things with us, or we live as if we're going to, right? 
And, uh, and when we get to this fir- first part of James chapter 5, he's, he's kind of pulling no punches to those that are wealthy, but I don't want you to hear that if you're wealthy, you're going to hell, because that's not what he's saying. Actually, we can look through Scripture about the complexities of having wealth. There's a lot of complexities that come with being a wealthy person. And he is challenging those who have used their wealth to manipulate control and to, to um, take over and, and, um, and uh, betray other people. That's who he's talking to in this first part of chapter 5. He's just digging in and saying, if this is you, you've taken, you haven't paid the workers who've mowed your fields. So if you are a landscape um, a landscaper, there's your Bible verse, all right? It's like, if they don't pay you, say, I have a Bible verse for that. You didn't pay me, so you're a bad person, right? No, don't do that. Um, but like, that's what they're saying, that you didn't pay the workers that mowed your fields, the harvesters that came in, those who were innocent, you actually took advantage of. And, and so he's calling them out and saying, that is not the way you ought to live. And he's calling out really what the heart condition is. And that's the thing that I think we need to understand today, because many of us in this room, we're not, we don't have millionaires and billionaires in here, right? Um, maybe some of you are awesome. Um, that's fantastic. Some of you, most of us are not in that category. And we're just living life, and we're getting what we can. And the thing is, though, all of us, no matter whether you have a lot or have a little, can be in the wrong place in your heart. And so he's really boiling it down to where is your heart? Are you buying into the lie that your life is the culmination of everything you've got? Because it's not. It's really not. It's really the culmination of every relationship you have and the deeds that you're going to take with you back to heaven. That's what you're taking with you. You're taking people and your good works. That's what's going with you to heaven. Um, it's none of your stuff, none of your money, none of that stuff is going with you. And so he's challenging. He's actually saying the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 24. Um, this is what Jesus said. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he just pulls no punches. You cannot serve both God and money, or mammon is the, is the original word there. Like stuff. You can't serve stuff and God. Either one's going to own your heart or the other's going to own your heart. That's, that's the reality. And it kind of goes back to what I talked to uh, a couple weeks ago, right? We can't, we can't be a friend of the world and to be a friend of God. They're polar opposites. And he's just kind of repeating it, but now talking about money and wealth. If you want to get money and wealth, a lot of times you're going to have to do things that don't look like God <laughs> to get and keep those things. And that's where greed starts to come in. And it's really the bottom line. It's an issue of security. Where are you putting your trust? Are you putting your trust in what you have today and what you're trying to get for tomorrow? Or are you putting your trust in God? And we're going to see chapter 5. That's really this tension he's talking about throughout this whole section that he's digging into. And so my first point in the law, a lot of stuff we're talking about is this, is that you can either trust God or trust your wealth, not both, is what he's saying. You, You can't trust God and wealth at the same time. You can be wise with wealth, and do good things with it, and you can be foolish with wealth and do evil things with it. The reality is money in itself is just neutral. Money's neither either good or evil. It just isn't. It is neutral. It is what you do with it that becomes good or evil. It's what comes out of your heart when you have it uh, or when you try to get it that is either good or evil. Y'all with me? And so this is what Jesus is talking about. Like, what owns your heart? Does your stuff, your, your money, your, your security in, in the wealth and in building wealth and retirement, all this kind of stuff? Now, um, Sam talked about, this is a, not this last sermon last week, but the, a, a while ago, he was talking about the whole idea of, 
of businessmen going to a town and having an, and having an um, expectation, right? We're going to go to this town, make this amount of money, do this and that, whatever. And the issue isn't like not making a plan, right? Well, it's okay to plan. It's okay to save money. It's okay like to do all that kind of stuff. The question is, where is your heart? We see Jesus confronted a young man that came to him that was asking him, how can I be a disciple? How can I make it to heaven? Was the, really the question. And this man was very wealthy, and Jesus saw right to his heart and said, listen, go and sell everything you have and come follow me. And, and he, left away, he, he went away sad because he had much wealth. I mean, if he was poor and had nothing, he'd already been, I can give my toothbrush away, no problem, and come with you, right? Like if you only had some small, one little thing, that's the problem, right? He wasn't addressing the issue of wealth he, because the next passage says, man, well, if, if he can't get to heaven, none of us can because honestly, us in America, we're the wealthiest nation in the planet. Like if you're the poorest person in the room, you're, you're in the top, like what, 2% of the world, like as far as income goes. And then he says, well, the good thing is that nothing is impossible with God. <laughs> the issue isn't like if you're wealthy, you go to hell. If you're poor, you go to heaven. Like that's not it. The issue is where is your heart? with the money, with the stuff you have. You can use it for evil or you can use it for good because we see Jesus commend and actually we see in Scripture those that with their wealth, with their business, with their income funded Jesus' ministry, you know? And they were walking with him and it it even describes these women that were wealthy, that were funding Jesus' ministry. And so they were wealthy, but they were using it for good, for kingdom impact, for things that would matter forever. That's storing up your treasure in heaven, right? And so money is neutral. What he's saying is, where's your heart in it? Are you using it for God and good? Are you saving wisely, which you should? Or are you getting to spend and getting to have and putting your security in that rather than God? Where is your heart with it? You can't, you can either trust God or you can trust your wealth. You can't trust both. Okay, that's his first challenge. All right, everybody good on that one? Like I said, I've got like four, this is like Bible study this morning in my sermon, okay, is what we're doing, because we're basically going verse by verse as we dig into it. So let's move into the next section. So don't be greedy and and love God with your money, right? Be generous. Um, So we're not supposed to trust in this, but what are we supposed to trust in then? What does trusting God look like? And that's where he starts to dig dig into in verses 7 and 8. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. No, I'm going to stop right there. Who loves being patient? I mean, who just passionately does that? I can't wait to be patient today. It's going to be so fun, right? Like, uh, we, I mean, it's so hard to be patient, you know? And the thing is, our patience gets tested usually in the worst times, doesn't it? It's those moments where already like our fuse is a little short or already we're kind of like, I've already waited for a lot of other things and I have to wait for this. You got to be kidding me. Like that's when our patience is tested. Um, and it's like, come on. Patience is a hard thing. And now, so he's saying, don't trust in your money, right? He's saying that stuff, and now he's saying, okay, and now be patient until the Lord's coming. Well, when the heck is that? (laughs) He's like, be patient till that, but I'm not giving you the date. Nobody's going to know the date or the time. Like, that's, that's a sign in heaven. God knows what it is, but just be patient for that. So you have to be patient for the thing you don't know when, is what he's saying. That's a tension, isn't it? So he says, no, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. So patience needs to continue. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now imagine hearing this in the day of James, 
What does near mean? <laughs> right? They're thinking, in my lifetime? Like, okay, I'm going to be patient till Thursday. Hope he comes back by Thursday, right? Like, like, what, like the whole idea, this is the tension. We don't know the answer to the near or the when. All we're told is, be patient. Be patient. The fruit of God's promises will come into fulfillment. I love this imagery that he gives of the farmer. I mean, we've got some farmers that come to New Hope. We've got some people who grew up doing farming. And, and there's some things that farmers do, right? The farmers work the soil, right? They plow, they put the, the manure on it, which is love when that happens, because I live out in the country when it's the good stinky stuff, right? Um, they, they, and, they, so, and then they plant the seed. That's their job. Okay, we're going to put these rows and we're going to plant the seeds. But they are not in charge of, 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 uh, of, this, of the seasons, are they? They're not in charge of when the rain comes and when it doesn't come. That's a, that's a faith thing. That's a trust thing. That's a, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to plant. I'm going to till. I'm going to make sure the soil's right. I'm going to do all the things I'm supposed to do. I have to trust that God's going to bring the rain when it needs to rain. He's going to water the thing when it needs watered so that it will produce the fruit, Right? That, that that farmer is wanting to produce in the, in the fields so that a harvest can come. And so then whenever the harvest comes, the farmer gets to be part of that though, right? They're part of the soil, they're part of the planting, but they're not a part of the growth. They're not a part of the fruit. But then they also get to be part of the harvest. This imagery is so powerful for us in Christ Jesus. He's given us this picture of what, what we get to do spiritually while we're waiting patiently. I equate it this way, and we see Jesus actually share a parable about this. He talks about the soil and the seed and the fruit and that kind of stuff. I'm not going to go into that, but I would say the soil in this imagery is our heart. For us spiritually, the only thing we can tend to is us, right? You can only tend to your own heart. I can't, I can, I can help shepherd and pastor people, but I can't tend to your own heart. That's on you to tend to your own heart. How is the soil in your heart? Has it been tilled up and ready for God's work? Has it, been, has it been like stirred up in such a way that it's prepared for a seed to be planted into it? Because the seed is God's word. It's the gospel. That when God plants his word, his seed into our hearts, our, it's up to us. Is our heart going to be hard like a rock because that seed will not penetrate? The gospel can't work. And so it's just like it's not a thing for you then. Spirituality is not a thing for you because you're hard-hearted. Is it soft? Have you tilled that so so when God's word comes or the gospel comes in, what Christ has done for you enters in, that it's ready for that seed. That God's word starts to work. You receive the gospel message, the freedom through Christ, and you start to change because your soil's been ready to change. Because when you let it plant, God starts to water it in your heart. If you put yourself in the right church, in the right relationships, in the right circle of people, spending your time in the seed, in God's word, in your own life and praying, those are the things that we do to till our own hearts, our own soil. Now, here's the cool thing. A lot, well, I don't know if it's cool. Here's the tension, I would say, that, that so often we want to be then in charge of the fruit of our life spiritually. Like we think if I till it and I let God's word in, that means I'm going to get this fruit, this fruit, and this fruit. And God might be like, you're not ready for that fruit and that fruit and that fruit. You're ready for this little fruit over here because that's what your heart is prepared for. That's what your mind and your thought life is prepared for. And so he'll give you that and then it's up to you. Am I going to continue to till the soil of my heart with that little thing or that specific thing? 
I can continue to let the seed to germinate. That seed has to die for it to grow. Do you know that? When a seed goes in, the seed becomes no more so that a plant can grow from it. It's no longer a seed, it's a plant, right? You have to let that go into you and become something so it grows. And so God is in charge of the fruit of your life. This is what the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, right, is the fruit of the Spirit. When we start to live into that soil, let that seed continue to grow, the fruit naturally comes. You become more patient because that's a fruit of the Spirit. It just starts to come out of you. And so we see this imagery of a farmer waiting for the, the, um, the harvest. Now, the, the final harvest for us as Christ followers is at Christ's return. We get to be of part of the harvest of the souls of the kingdom of heaven. And we get to celebrate at the final feast, the banquet table with our Lord. Isn't that awesome? And so when we get to that day, it's like we, he's saying, long for that day. Patiently wait for that day. That day is going to come. God's promised it. Is it going to happen Thursday? Don't know. Is it going to happen Thursday in March? Don't know. All we do know is it is going to happen. And he's saying, let that be your anchor. Let that be the foundation for you as you let your heart be tilled into the soil of God's word, seeded and planted for God's fruit to be coming out of you, waiting for the harvest of God's return in his presence. So patience is two things. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning it comes out, but it's also a discipline of your mind. And you need to develop both. You have to choose patience. Have you ever been in line somewhere? And you're like, I have to choose patience right now. And then you turn it spiritually, which is really good. God, give me the fruit I don't have in this moment. Like, I need you to help me be patient, right? We have to cultivate the discipline while we allow the fruit to be birthed in us, okay? And so when we see this call in James 7 and 8, this, this learning how to trust in God, that's what patience is. Patience is saying, I'm trusting in God's outcome over my own. Patience in saying, I'm not trying to get for myself and get for myself and get for myself so I know I have what I need. That's not patience. That's selfishness. He's like, no, no, no. If you are able to accumulate a lot, you're patiently waiting on the Lord, you're going to be actively patient with the Lord and serving Him. So you can fill in the blank on this, that we are proactively patient and firmly rooted, waiting on Jesus' return. This is what he's saying. As Christ followers, we are proactively patient. Patience is not a passive thing. It just doesn't happen by accident, right? We are proact- we're choosing patience and letting the fruit of patience come out of the soil of our heart that's tilled with the message and the Word of God. And as it's coming out, we're being proactively patient. God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on your return. I can't wait for that day. And the thing is, when you focus on the return of Christ, your momentary struggles, you you gain the right perspective on your momentary struggles, understanding that they are temporary realities. That God's greater reality is his work in the kingdom of heaven, and our patience waiting for him to return. If our eyes are focused on the eternity, the temporary, just it doesn't matter as much. I'm not saying it's not real. We still go through stuff. You're still emotionally constipated at times, right? We still get hurt by other people. We, we still feel things. 
So it doesn't lessen any of those f- things in our soul or in our lives or in our bodies. But what it does is it gives us that foundation to be rooted in, even in the midst of those struggles. That we can wait patiently on the Lord. I skipped ahead to a point. We'll get to it again, though. So, so we are proactively rooted. We're learning not to trust our stuff and trust the world. We're learning to trust God and be patient, waiting for His return. Let's keep reading, because he gets very practical in this next one. Don't grumble against one another. That's a good one for patience, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, oh, right from patience to grumbling about other people. You know, <laughs> like, that's when we're impatient. It's, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Like, that's a harsh word. Like, or you'll be, and the judge is standing at the door. Like, he's, the judge is there. Like, it, it, grumbling against somebody else is a big deal. And this word grumble here in the original language in the Greek, it's, it's to have a grudge against someone or to murmur, sigh, or complain about someone. Have you done that this week? Um, it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament. I want you to hear God's heart on this whole murmur thing, this grumbling thing. The Israelites were set free from slavery in Egypt. God set them free from slavery. They crossed over on dry land through the Red Sea. And then their enemy got drowned in the water when it came back over them. And they were being led by God's presence. And they had the goal to grumble. Look what you did, God. You brought us out here. Now we don't have any food. Now our water's not good. And God provided every single time they grumbled. But you need to see God's heart because they kept grumbling and grumbling and grumbling even though he kept showing up and providing and doing the miraculous in front of them. I think it's the same thing today. Some of you have seen the miraculous and you still grumble. So the heart condition hasn't changed. The sin issue hasn't changed. And it's interesting, I'll just let you know this, what happened to the Israelites. So they got over to the promised land and then um, the spies went in, saw it was awesome, it was good. Two came back of those 12 spies and said, yeah, let's do it. God said, let's go. And the rest of them said, no, those giants are big. The cities are fortified. Grumble, grumble, grumble. We can't do it. And you know what they did? They didn't do it. And God let them die in their grumbling in the desert. I need you to hear very clearly. God does not like grumbling. He doesn't like it against him. And he doesn't like us to do it against each other. And we, like, we don't think of it as a big deal, but with God, it's obviously a big deal. He let a whole generation die in the desert because of their grumbling against him. My question is, who are you grumbling against? Who do you complain about all the time? Who do you sigh when they show up? <gasps> God is directly opposed to that hard attitude, is what he's saying. I'm not pulling any punches this morning. I'm in a mood, I guess. Um, but... I'm just reading the Bible. So let's see what, this is the point. God doesn't like any kind of grumbling against him or each other. That's the point. He's saying if you're patiently waiting for him to return, why would you waste that time grumbling against other people? Right? Why would we waste our time worrying about other people's problems? What they think about you or what they think about other people. Like why would we waste our time, our energy, our focus, our internal thought life on individuals who may not even think like you. Okay, they may have a different opinion about you. Even like, 
other Christians may have different opinions about you or about what you believe and like what you do. The thing is, you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. So if you should grumble, grumble about your own heart. Grumble about your own issues in your own life. Sigh about the sin that's so prevalent in your own life. Be like, God, would you help me? He's saying, don't grumble against other people and don't grumble against God. That's just, I'm just giving you that warning. <laughs> like, it's okay to talk to God. It's okay to like wrestle with God. Like, God, I'm struggling with what you're doing. I'm, I'm frustrated. I don't, like that stuff isn't grumbling. Like grumbling is when you're like, God, you're stupid. Like, you're not giving me what I want or what I think I need. That's when you're trying to punch heaven. I'll just show you, your fists are not long enough to get there. Gods are long enough to come back. And he may allow you to go through things. And it's your choice. Is bitterness going to take root? Or are you going to choose joy in the midst of your circumstances? Are you going to let jealousy take heart? Because somebody else is getting some I thought I needed. God, why do they get it? It's like, why are you talking to me about that? Because you don't need that. They got it. They needed it. Or they got it, and they're doing something positive with it. That's not on you. So he says, don't grumble against God. Don't grumble against each other. He says, or you will be judged. I don't want to be judged by my grumbling. <laughs> Do you? Well, I don't want to be judged by my grumbling. All right. Are we happy? Everybody happy? <laughs> no, you're not. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Let's, get, let's keep going. <laughs> I said this is Bible study morning. All right, Bible study. Uh, let's keep reading then, verses 10 and 11. Because, okay, so we're learning to be patient, um, and, and we're learning to not grumble, and then he keeps going in verse 10 and 11. Um, and this is what he says. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, these are all good words, take the prophets who spoke in the, um, in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered so he's talking about the prophets. The prophets, go back to the Israelites and the grumbling against God. The prophets were the mouthpiece of God to the Israelites, and they did the same thing to the prophets. They suffered so much. You hear about Jeremiah, it's called the weeping prophet. I mean, he kept like, trying, here's God's word. Like, and it was like hitting hard hearts, closed minds, unrepentant nation, right? Like over and over and over again. <clears throat> and imagine how much patience they had to have as they knew their job was to bring God's word to those people. He said, they were considered blessed, those who persevered. They kept pressing on into what God called them to do and how he called them to live. He said, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of two things. Say these with me. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Compassion and mercy. This is the character of God. So when we think about the hard things we have to go through in life, the perseverance that it takes at times, just to keep moving forward. Do the next right thing you know how to do, right? If you're like, there is no next right thing, I'm sure there's one next right thing for you to do. Do that. And then what is the next right Do that next right thing. And so if your soul is heavy, do the next right thing. If your life feels heavy and things feel like, I don't get it, do the next right thing. Every little step of the next right thing leads you closer to God's purpose and plan for you, and you'll experience his compassion and mercy in the process. He's not trying to smash you. The world is. Satan is. We have enemies, and they're continually trying to just put the pressure 
and push down on you. That's not God. He's saying, no, I want you to, you're going to have to endure things like that. He uses Job in his example. If you've read the book of Job, it's one of those books that, like, if you haven't read it, you will wrestle with God when you read it. Because it starts with a conversation between Satan and God, and Satan asks for permission to go and attack Job. Job is an upright, righteous man living in the blessing of the land. Beautiful family, large family, wealthy, and he lived and honored God. Actually, it, it talks about Job. Job 1.22, it said this about Job. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He didn't sin. And yet Satan took so much from him. His wealth was gone. Most of his family was dead except for his wife, who was a grumbler. <laughs> it's like, why? Well, Satan knew what he was doing, all right? So like, like he, he left her and, and some friends that thought they were helpful that they weren't helpful, right? And in the end, God brought it's this word recompense. It's this word of restoration. God restored even more than what was taken from Job. And he did it while Job was alive. With the prophets, some of them didn't experience it until they were in God's presence. But the reality is God, whether we get to experience that on this earth or we have to wait till we see him in heaven, will show us great compassion and mercy as we endure, as we are patient. When we see eternity and in, in have heaven in mind, it changes our perspective. So our suffering is temporary in light of God's promises for eternity is this view that he's given us. He said, look at the prophets and look at Job. They were patient in the midst of suffering. And when we understand that God's mercy and compassion, whether it's we see it on earth, some of us get to experience that on earth, but I know people, godly people, who experience suffering all the way to the end of their life. They do it with patience. There are martyrs for the gospel every single week on this planet who are suffering for the work of the gospel and who are murdered and killed in the process. I'm telling you, when they get to heaven, the compassion and mercy and honor that they will experience in the presence of God. My goodness. And we complain about a hangnail. Right? When we have eternity in mind, when we have the presence of God and the day, capital the day that will come in his return, I'm, when we have that in mind, our temporary suffering is just that. We realize how temporary it is. Even if it feels like long, we can wait in patience with God in the midst of it. This is what Paul said in the book of Romans, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. They're temporary sufferings. In John chapter 16, we, we, uh, we see this. I think this is Jesus quoted, right? I have told you these things. So Jesus is teaching. He said, I've told you these things so that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Like, it's a promise. You're going to have trouble. In this, this world is broken. It's sinful. There's pressures. There's pain. There's all sorts of things that are going to happen. And I'm sorry to say that, but here's the promise. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus has already conquered the world. We still have to live in the world, but when we see Jesus has conquered it already, his return will come at one point. Either one, one or two things will happen. I'm going to die and be with him. Awesome. Or he's going to come and return before I die, and I'll be with him. Awesome. Either way, I'm with him. Awesome. You with me? So that is living with eternity in mind. 
that our present sufferings, we can view them as temporary, even, even when they're hard. I, mean, I know some of you are going through the hard, hard things. I could tell you story after story of hard things our family's been through. There is, there is a goodness on the other side of God's compassion and mercy. And there is a deeper, um, what's the word I want to say? There's, there is a deeper abiding that comes after suffering that you didn't have before because you're resting in God all the more, knowing that you can trust Him, even in the hardest situations. And somebody needs to hear that this morning. Abide with Him in the suffering so you can abide with Him deeper after it. We wait patiently on the Lord. And then I'm ending in verse 12 uh, this morning. And in verse 12, it feels like a shift. Because he's, okay, so he's like, okay, don't trust in the wealth. And this is what it means to trust in God. Be patient, endure, pursue Him. The soil of your heart is prepared for His Word. And then he goes back to a very practical thing. He says, above all, so that's interesting. It's like, above all that other stuff, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Now, I'm going to tell you, this doesn't mean don't swear, like don't use cuss words. Um, because this, like, when I was growing up was the verse, like, it says don't swear. You said four-letter word. I'm like, I did, because the dog did it right there, right? Like, 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 <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, like, is that somebody saying? He's not talking about the four-letter. This is what he's saying, okay? He says, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. He's talking about swearing or, like, like swearing upon something, like, I'm going to do this and do this. I swear by God that this is what's going to happen, right? That's what he's talking about. It's like making an oath and using God or anything on this earth as an oath for that thing. You're like, well, does that mean we shouldn't take a mortgage and sign that? Does that mean, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. What he's saying is, is if, if you are a Christ follower, you just need to let your word be your word. You need to use words of integrity. When your yes to somebody is said, it becomes a yes by your actions. You don't say a yes but mean a no and go against your word. And you don't say a no and then say, no, I changed my mind, I'm going to do that. Like, you don't change your word. Like, this is living with words of integrity that your heart and your words match. Does that make sense? That's what words of integrity are. It's like, I mean this from the depths of my heart, so when I say yes about this thing, I know that I am in my heart saying yes to that as well. But if I'm saying no to this thing, in my heart I'm saying no to that thing and I'm not going to go there or do that. You don't have to make an oath. By God and by his presence, I'm making an oath that blah, blah, blah. He's like, if you do that and then you don't do what you said, you have now put yourself under a deeper judgment is what he's saying. You can be condemned. If you make an oath using God's name, he's saying, if you use my name as an oath, you better do it. That's like a contract covenant right there. So he's saying it's better to not say that at all. It's better to, it's better to just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, so this, this is the fill in the blank, last fill in the blank. He's just saying, be a person of your word. If you're a Christ follower, just be a person of your word. Do what you say you're going to do. And don't do the thing you said you're not going to do, right? 
Your yes be yes and your no be no. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. He said, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. He goes even deeper. He's like, he's like just let your yes be yes, your no be no. You don't need to say anything else. Like, like if you make an oath over this earth or this world or blah, blah, he's like, no, no, just let your yes, yes your no be no. And he also said it in uh, Matthew 12, verse 37. He said, for by your words, this is dangerous. Think about this. For by your words, you will be justified or by your words, you will be condemned. We already talked about it, and um, that was Sam's message, talking about the power of words. James has already talked about the power of words. Our words create worlds. I love that. That was a great point, Sam, when you said that. I'm like, yes, our words create worlds. You'll either be condemned by them or justified by them. And, and he's really getting to the heartbeat of, what words are you using towards God? If you believe the gospel, that Jesus Christ came, he's the son of God, he lived on this earth, and he died a perfect man, a sinless man. And when he died on the cross, he was the final sacrifice for all sin. The Israelites had to sacrifice animals over and over and over again. Jesus was the final one to pay for the penalty of our sin. And when we accept that gift, and we proclaim Jesus as Lord in our life, you will be saved. You are justified by your words and your hearts. You with me? This is what he's saying. If you say yes to God, but then you live your life as if you said no, you're condemned by your words. If you say no to God and you live as if you said no, you're condemned by that word. He's saying if you say yes to God, let your life be a yes to God and live for God. So today, if you don't know God, you can have an opportunity to say yes to him. But I would encourage you, if you say yes, this is not a get out of hell free yes. This is a I'm giving my life to Jesus yes. I don't want him just to be a good idea. I want him to be the idea for my salvation. And by that word, you are saved. Belief in your heart, confess with your mouth. Don't say yes to Jesus and then no by your actions. Don't live double-minded and don't live lukewarm. There's a very clear passage about being lukewarm. Jesus would rather be hot or cold. Lukewarm is nasty. Have you ever had lukewarm coffee? Can't wait for that lukewarm soup, you know? Like, that's what he's saying. Lukewarm, he spits and spews you out of his mouth, is what the verse says. Be hot or cold, yes or no. But if your yes is yes, let it be a yes with all you got. Don't be double-minded. Don't be lukewarm. So maybe today, some of you in this room as Christ followers, you've said yes, but some things in your life say no. And maybe that's God convicting your heart. Are you trusting in the things of this world? Are you trusting in your own ability? Are you truly trusting God? Do you want to be the Lord on the throne of your life? You're going to experience all that happens when you are the Lord of, the, of your life. Or do you want Jesus to be Lord sitting on the throne of your life? Because then you get to walk in all the promises he has for your life. It's much better. We're going to take some time to respond and pray, and, and we're going to sing a song that proclaims that we want Jesus to be the king of our hearts.
So let's just take a time to just process and pray and let God speak to us in this time. God, we thank you for your word. We know it's proactive or it's active, that it accomplishes what you want it to accomplish. And this morning, God, as we are pursuing you, and this is a challenging message, God, and some people in this room are like, what church is this? I wasn't ready for this. But God, we want to be ready for you. We want to be ready for your return. We want to be ready to be in your presence. We, don't, we, we want to represent heaven well. Today, God, if, if those in this room who are Christians are not representing heaven well, would you convict us of the sin in our hearts and our lives? If there are areas where we're trusting in other things other than you, would you just bring it to light even as we sing and worship in response in a moment? And that we would open our hands and, and not be like closed-fisted, open our hands to you to give those things to you. Help us to release those things to you. If you don't know Christ today, it's as easy as what I just said a moment ago. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you can be saved. You can be with him now, and you can be with him forever. And if that's you, and he's calling you, he's doing something in your heart right now, like the Holy Spirit's stirring something, you're like, I don't want that. He's calling you. If that's you, I'm going to pray right now, and I want you to pray to God, and just make it your own words. I always say, there's, I am no closer to Jesus than anybody in this room. We are all sinners at the feet of the cross of our Savior. I just get to be the one that helps you get there. If that's you today, just pray, confess, let your yes be yes to God, and you can say this if this is you. You can say, God, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for me and my sins, and I'm going to ask, would you forgive me of my sins, God, now and forever? I want to be with you forever. Would you enter into my heart, my life? I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm saying yes to you today, God. Give me your Holy Spirit. Free me from my sin. Help me walk closer to you. And I confess this right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. And for all of us just in this time, let's 